everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic Zuby. My name is Zuby and if you're brand new to the show, the show is all about a little well-known card game called Magic the Gathering. So today we brought on none other than Adam and MTG who is a partner Twitch streamer on Twitch and streams Magic Arena and brought him on to talk about you know how to get into streaming, uh, what it's like to grow as a content creator and, and really some new tips for new people out there as well too, how to really grow your stream and get gr gain an audience as well too and plus then we talked a lot about magic and DD &D and rpgs and whatever else have you but before we begin uh, let's get some announcements out of the way uh this podcast is brought to you by legitmtg.com legitmtg.com is your place to buy magic singles and sealed product out there any any order over two dollars or more gives you free shipping at legitmtg.com as well as Magic Wazubi can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Magic Wazubi, on Instagram at Magic underscore with underscore Zuby, and you can email me at mtgzuby at gmail.com. Um, I did start a TikTok. Um, I haven't uploaded any videos or anything yet on it. I'm still, I don't even really know what to do with it, but I started one because my oldest daughter has a TikTok, so I decided to make a TikTok as well, too. But before we begin, or I mean, look, yeah, let's just begin. You know, without further ado, here is Adam and MTG. And get going. So, hey, everybody, Zuby here, and I brought on today with me none other than Keith, aka Adam and MTG, who is a pretty popular Twitch streamer. Um, so, let's go ahead and introduce yourself, Adam. Hey, good to be here, uh, Adam and MTG. My first name is Keith, and not many people know that because typically I don't mention that in my chat. But uh, if anyone wants to call me Adam, Keith, Adamant, uh, I go by anything. Just say, hey, you, and I will respond. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. So I, so I put out a tweet asking um, – you know, like, hey, who are some content creators I should get on the podcast? And I think it was Skybills, who I had on the show a couple weeks ago, actually recommended. Or no, no, you you responded saying you wanted to come on. Then Skybills said she recommended you. Um, awesome. So then you DM'd me, and then now it's been a couple weeks, and now we're finally doing this. Um, I, I guess one of my first questions I wanted to ask is, do you primarily just stream? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I tried my hand in content creating on YouTube. Um, I'll tell you the little little background if you don't mind me going sure. into a long, elaborate story as streamers sometimes do. Um, my my journey into content creation. One of the reasons I have a hard time doing YouTube content is because uh, it's not it's structured in the way that I would need to edit and go back. And if um, if any of your audience knows. If you've ever set up an answering machine message where you're supposed to just say, hey, it's me, leave me a message, thanks, and you, and that's it. Well, I do that about 75 times because I always want to edit. It wasn't, I didn't say it right, and I'll change it and edit it again and again. <laughs> so if I'm doing something live, there's no way I can edit it. So whatever I mispronounce or if I say something wrong or I just go with it because I know I can't correct it. If you give me an opportunity to to actually produce something and and I will never get it off the ground. So kudos to all the YouTube content creators that are able to be comfortable and happy with their results and not constantly want to change it and edit and change. And so, um, so the few times I've done YouTube, I just clip something from a stream and put it up recording. And, uh, is just really hard for me because I always want to you know redo it and make it better. So I guess, uh, 
that's sort of why streaming is just I, I kind of forget about it. You know, I do my thing and I'm done. I don't go back and chop it up or make compilations and all those things that would be really fun to do. But um, I don't have a hard time, hard, hard time being um, okay with the finished product. Like I need to ship it to someone and say, you do yeah. it, you you edit it, and I'll trust you. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely understand that feeling. It's it's I tried my hand at doing YouTube videos as well. And it's um, just like you said, it's it's not only the editing gets so time consuming, it's coming up with ideas um, and just having that. My biggest factor is time, the time yeah. to do it. And yeah. um, it's it, it, it can be a lot of fun. It can be rewarding, but it can be so draining as well, too. Um, yeah. that's, that's why I prefer a podcast, because it's just sort of I record and then pretty much done. I do some finishing touches on the audio and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different medium where it's, you know, uh, I don't know, more, I mean, I guess genuine in a sense that, you know, you're not editing. Like, I would be the greatest magic player in the world if I could edit only my <laughs> victories and show everybody how brilliant I am. And uh, instead, on stream, I end up, you know, fumbling into really terrible, you know, lines of play. And then, uh, you know, it, it's it's natural and it's it's good in, the, in one sense, but sometimes um, people are used to, a high percentage, you know, um, like you're used to things that are polished and when you don't see that polished, you know, it gives you the, the genuine experience of, of the magic, you know, player where you're, you have ups and downs and good luck and bad luck. Um, and you see all of it when you're streaming and oh, sometimes yeah. that that's great for some people and some people come in and they're instantly like, you made a mistake. I'm out. You're like, wow, oh, I know, that's right? pretty, pretty harsh. But, um, but yeah, I, I really, I've been streaming for just under two years. So I'll be two years in April. Oh, and nice. Magic Arena was my, is my primary game. I have, I've occasionally gone to other games just to try it out, but the audience isn't really there and the engagement isn't there because I've, if I'm playing like a shooter or RPG or doing something else, I'm focused on that. I'm not just bantering. It, with Magic, I've played so much over the years, I can kind of banter and talk and talk about the plays, and it it just feels more comfortable because I'm yeah. I feel I feel I've done done it for so long that I can uh, I think the experience is good for streaming, while other things maybe not. I'm not so much of a screamer, or like if, if I do a horror game or you know a jump scare game or something, <laughs> I don't I don't have that personality that lends to you know a fantastic experience. So I don't know if I'd ever be um, good at those those types of games on stream. So I don't know. It's it's to me it's interesting the different personalities and what attracts people. Um, for me, I started streaming kind of low key, just like my regular personality, and that um, my audience appreciates that. While other streamers can be a little more you know uh, excitable and and more interesting for the entertainment aspect. I think of myself as someplace to you can just relax and maybe learn something about magic and just have a good time um, in a casual sort of environment. No, no, and that's good because just like you said, it's it's playing to your strengths and finding out you know what is good for you. Because I'll be honest, a lot of times where I, I stream very rarely and it's very um, it's not very scheduled. It's just pretty much when I want to. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I notice is. You, I almost feel like sometimes you have to put yourself on, like put a show on for people. Um, and yeah. 
sometimes that can be exhausting, especially, you know, after I just got done with work and whatever. And a lot of times with streaming is you sort of have to at least be engaging, talk your plays out and talk with the audience. And then sometimes times where I just don't want to, you know, and, you know, and that can be a little bit tough, too, especially if you try to put on a personality like that. No, but the few times I've caught your stream, it does feel very relaxed. And and the thing with streaming magic is it sort of lends itself to talking with the chat because they can not only help you with plays, but say if you're doing a draft, like, hey, pick this instead. Um, right. And, you know, maybe help you see some lines of play that you didn't see before. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I really feel that. Uh, always being open to conversation or open to different ideas because magic is such a diverse and amazing game. There are often, um, there's so many different lines of, you know, be it just math or, um, the, the feeling of, you know, what you should expect from a certain deck or a certain line of play or when your opponent is doing something and you're confused by it, like, why would they play this instead of that? And, you may might not see something that someone else can help you with, and um, yeah, I think the engagement with chat, be it new players or experienced players, is always great because you can't have those conversations in paper magic, at no. least not in, in tournaments where you're playing and you're saying, "Huh, I wonder." You know, the the open conversation you can have on on stream is a, really a way to bring everybody in, and everyone's always doing that. You know, backseat gaming or what something <laughs> like you know in a in a in environment like that's being um like a you know grand prix or, or world championship something's being said everyone's always throwing their two cents in without true feedback um when you're on stream and you're playing and those people are doing the same thing i actually embrace backseat gaming i think it's fine as long as it's done you know of course you know in a constructive way but not just constructive but explaining you know the reasons like this card is bad well why do you say that? You know, why, why, yeah. or this line of play is bad or good. Um, I always encourage the conversation and sometimes there are multiple ways to the same goal. You know, I didn't attack this turn because I knew that I would set up lethal next turn. If I would have attacked with everything this turn, I could have fallen into a trap or my opponent could, you know, potentially ember cleave and swing back and I lose the game. So maybe this time caution is better. And then you end up playing it through. They didn't have the Ember Cleave, and you could have had Lethal the turn before, but it's hindsight. And but I, I do like the conversation. You know, like say something, say out loud what you think I did wrong, um, and I'll either explain myself or I'll admit that I was wrong. It's not a big deal to me to be wrong. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, the the and but you're right. When you said about being exhausted, it is. There are times where you don't want to. Um, necessarily play magic in a explain all your plays or you're maybe you're trying to accomplish some goal for a quest or something and yeah um it, it is i i what i've learned in streaming is that ultimately it's a hundred percent you can see the viewers either rise or decline based on your mood your attitude um there's been times where i've been on top of the world everything's going really well and i can feel the momentum i can feel the you know how how it it feels great to have a good positive chat, be interacting. Um, the games are working well. Everything's kind of go- smoothly going. And then other times where I've been frustrated or my mind's been on other things and I'll see that there isn't that same engagement. So I think it's pretty cool that the streaming environment lets you very quickly, you know, find yourself and find what works. 
yeah for you yeah no for sure uh one thing i do want to ask you so you mentioned you've been doing this for almost two years um you're currently partnered with twitch correct Mm -hmm. um yes i am so for and one of the things that I mentioned in that tweet was there's just so many magic content creators coming out now with the with the release of Arena. It it sort of exploded, right? Because before yep. Arena, when it was just magic online, there was very few magic streamers out there and mm-hmm. you sort of knew who was who. And and even minus the streamers, you really knew a lot of the YouTubers out there, the the podcasters. Um, You know, I felt like I had a handle on sort of the who's who of everyone. Mm-hmm. For content right. creation, but now pretty much I don't know who anybody is anymore. Um, yeah. It's getting to a point to where, you know, I, I found this one YouTuber. I don't remember their name, but they had like 20, 30,000 subs. And I'm just and I, I think they're primarily a streamer and I had no idea who they were. And, and you know, they're not in that circle of people I follow, obviously. Um, And you, you sort of look at the front page of Twitch or, or the the page the magic the gathering page on twitch and there's just so many new people out there um for people who are wanting to get into streaming now especially just focusing on magic arena you know what's some advice you can give them out there uh it's a great question and it's actually a pretty interesting story i started so i started two years ago and it was not any there was never um like a ramping up. I didn't do a lot of research on what streaming even was. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I I watched a few streamers doing other things, like uh, but they were mostly podcasts and like watching D and D, you know, streams. That's really what got me sort of into the technology, and I got my streaming software with the intention of doing a Dungeons and Dragons. Um, oh no! Uh, oh, we're gonna have to talk some D and D soon. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm a longtime D and D player, long oh, before okay. Mag- Magic. Even, even I started Magic in '93, but I was playing D and D prior to that. All right, I got, and, I got to make a note of that because we will definitely yeah. have to talk some D and D. But oh, awesome! Go, yeah, go on. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that because that's really, it's really what kind of brought me to this place that it, we are now. So, um, with regard to streaming, so I, I jumped into it, um, sort of, you know. It was like sort of a secondary thought. I was teaching my friend, um, my best friend Scott, who has been on before, and he's a, you know the, the only VIP in my channel. For those of you who want to be VIPs, you have to know me since I was twelve. <laughs> and, uh, that's my that's my criteria. Anyways, uh, so Scott and I were I was streaming just to show him the game and and give him some tips while he was learning from scratch. He had never touched the game, um, and. That suddenly I just had more and more people come in and because I was teaching I was just tell people oh you know I'm just here to teach my friend how to play magic and they're like oh what's magic and it was early beta arena I get in on the program like the very I think the first wave or the second wave pretty early nice. and so I was um, I was just kind of doing my thing and just talking to him through plays and suddenly it started growing people started asking more questions and new players would come in and what's this and how do you do this and um, and, uh, eventually even was, you know, at that time it was really a small group of people. So some of the staff from wizards, Chris Clay, who is the, you know, the, the number one designer, lead designer, he would come into the chat. And of course they were trying to, you know, kind of feel out the community and get some, uh, you know, traction under their brand new game. Um, and I don't think they even believed it would be as big as it was or it became. Um, so I, because I was in early, 
and I was doing a lot of networking, you know, in the sense of visiting other streams, seeing what people did that I liked. Um, so to kind of back up to your question, what's, what are some good tips for, um, new streamers? Well, that's the number one thing is find out what people are doing, find out what the popular people are doing. Um, and it's not about copying them or it's just about seeing what their formula is and their formula typically is engagement. Um, that's the number one thing that streaming is so unique in than other forms of entertainment is you're, you're not just doing something while people are watching, you're doing something and you're interacting with the viewers. Um, you know, they, they want you to play a certain deck. You can tell them yes or no, you can do what you want on your stream, but if there's enough people asking for something, um, maybe you should, you know, talk to them about it and give them, you know, and there's a lot of people that, uh, enjoy limited and that's not my favorite way of playing, but I do have, um, you know, an opinion on limited play and why I don't play as much limited as other streamers. And if anything, I'll direct them to streamers that do play a lot of limited and, um, because I don't believe you can be everything for everybody. You have to do or, or, um, provide content that you're comfortable with and that you enjoy, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, talking about it. And so just get, find your audience and find your, what you like to do, be genuine in that. Um, if you want to be the number one constructed player, then go for it. If you want to be a great limited stream and that's all you want to do, just let your audience know and, and be, um, you know, listen to what they like, but cause maybe something that you're doing that they, uh, you know, they'll help you. They'll tell you what they want you to do and that what they think is great. And, um, I think that engagement is the number one tip. The second tip, but probably not the probably the one of the more important ones is to have your setup um, tested and you know have a good mic have a you know when people are listening to you and they're listening to you through a you know a headset microphone pl plugged into your USB and it's scratchy or grindy or doesn't have a you know be let someone that you trust some a friend of yours listen to you from across you know from a actual you know, not from the same room you're in, have them listen to you on Twitch and let them, you know, be honest with you about your quality. If your quality isn't up to speed, you might want to find out a way to address it because that's the first thing someone will make an impression and they'll never come back if they, they don't yeah. like your, uh, the way that, you know, the, your music is too loud or whatever, you know? So, you know, you, you also stream without a webcam, um, mm -hmm. And how important do you feel that having a webcam or not having a webcam is important? Like, it, do you find that to be important for people to see your face? I mean, you know, with your success, you ha have you ever had a webcam? Let me start it. Nope. No, nope. never have, never have. But it's a it's a really interesting thing, and I think that um, I think that in some ways it does improve because what I was talking about connection. The connection mm -hmm. is people looking at you even though it's micro expressions but there are some very important um qualities of human interaction that that have to do with with webcams or seeing someone and i don't think that's um that's not lost on me for sure however the interesting tale is that i was uh studying and i still am studying uh, voice acting been doing that for maybe four or five years now nice. and that the entire art of voice acting is how to express yourself as an actor in audio only and either um and and because that was a skill that i wanted to keep improving on 
one of the very first things that um, that that you learn is to use your voice as the communicator, and and that that's takes a lot of practice and skill to do that. So, bringing in um, it, it's it's one of those things where the same thing for on camera acting. There are still ways to engage the camera and um, and I think the that maybe some people um, are put off by a no cam streamer. I think they like to see that interaction. For me, there's a couple of reasons. One is obviously I want to focus on my voice. Secondly, I think it can be distracting for magic, you know, specifically because there's not really a situation in magic where my facial expression is going to convey anything. It's, you know, it's not like you have to have a face cam because magic, I guess it can be exciting. You can top deck some great cards and that, that, you know, that expression is good. But for me, I'm a low key person anyway. So it doesn't add to my stream to see my eyes get big or, you know, I'm not throwing my headset off and jumping around. <laughs> so I don't really know what people would get out of uh, cam for my personal style. So for me, it's it's good. However, if it's something that um, that I, I think it's probably going to add more to someone's stream. So if you have a choice and you want to, you don't want to stream cam, I don't think you have to, to be successful on Twitch. However, I do think that more people expect it and maybe even more, um, you know, I think maybe people expect it. So I would say go that way if it makes you comfortable. But ultimately, it's what you want to do. Okay. Okay, that's some good advice. Um, the the other thing that I sort of want to, I guess, ask you is, you know, growing your audience, Um, you know, it, it felt like you sort of started at that perfect time with Arena where it was the open beta or the closed beta, whichever part of the yeah, beta it was. Closed. Yeah. Um, yeah, the closed beta. That's right. And... um. And you're right, at the time there weren't a whole lot of streamers doing it, but for someone entering now with so many Magic Arena streamers, you know, what are some other ways that you could give some advice to grow the audience? Because a lot of times now, especially with a game like this, there's so many people doing it at the same time. You know, how do you grab that sort of share of the audience when... I mean, I, I know a lot of times it also kind of depends when you stream uh, because mm-hmm. everybody's going to go towards like the top streamers first off. They're never going to go to the bottom where there's only one or two viewers and all that. So w- what's some advice for someone like that? Yeah, that's that's great. Great questions. Um, I think the, the the I've been through ups and downs with regards to schedules and things like that. I had some really great opportunities early um, and it's, you know, double-edged sword, I guess, great opportunities. And then I was unemployed for a while. So the, what that gave me is more time throughout the day to find, you know, an audience in, in different time zones. Um, one thing is to not be limited by your, um, by your time zone for sure, because people from all over the world will stop by my stream from, you know, Australia to Germany to, I mean, literally it's global. And people will spend their mornings with me or they'll spend their evenings with me and whenever they have time. Um, and at one point I had a, my schedule was so much wi- more wide open. I attracted people from so many different time zones. And then once you, once you get someone, they'll try to find you again. Um, you know, they'll put their notifications on, but some people are like, Hey, I'm, it's six in the morning and you know, I, you know, just woke up, but I've got, a th- you know, things to do or I have a job or whatever. So I think you have to, 
be willing to accept that there's going to be a global, potentially a global audience that you can reach. So um, that's number one. Uh, and that means that you don't, you have to find a time where that global audience, maybe there's another popular streamer who starts their stream or ends their stream. And it is about finding that, that uh, time that works best. But because there's so many streamers now, I think there's well over 800, which is pretty remarkable because when I first, the first uh, streamer event, there was way less than 100 streamers and they were reaching out to people that were not typically magic streamers. They were bringing in, you know, is they were yeah. attracting as, as many gamers as they could, as many, many personalities. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. And so it was interesting because, you know, they wanted the exposure ultimately to the audience that they, these other gamers had. And some of the gamers were, you know, longtime magic players, but they never wanted to, you know, they weren't interested in necessarily in streaming it or they came from MTGO or whatever. But, um, it, I think the so I I guess for my story was I did start in a smaller pool of streamers so I did get kind of a grabbed a chunk of the audience, but uh, where I felt things really changed is when they brought the MPL in. They had a this you know contracts with you know however many was it was it sixty or thirty I don't remember how many it was like thirty two I think or yeah yeah it might have been thirty two sixty four I couldn't remember the, yeah, the exact I, I, number I, yeah I can't remember either. But it might have been 32 people, which they fully gave. They gave them, um, you know, they were like, hey, you're a streamer now. It was part of their contract. And it was very different. Some of them embraced it. Some of them were already into streaming and they already knew kind of how to approach it. Others just sat in front of their camera and played magic and didn't say a word. Um, and it was interesting because I'm from the paper competitive magic and it's a very different world than, within streaming it. So, but that took a... That that was a huge chunk of the viewer, uh, the you know the audience or the viewership that were now going towards you know world champions. And why wouldn't they watch a world champion play? You know, yeah, that's true. So I felt like that was a a big change. Now when I got partnered, my my um my momentum was really high. I I had my numbers were were uh, really kind of mind blowing. I didn't even expect it to be honest with you, because. I had known other magic streamers and other streamers that were doing it for years saying that, you know, it's just, you get on the mic and you talk to your audience, sometimes nobody. And, um, and you just keep doing it and you, and that's what I did. I loved it for what I was doing. And, and I loved when, um, a new player would come in and say, Hey, I'm learning magic. And that was what I was all about. So I had a little bit of a different approach than just, I wasn't me playing magic. It was me talking about magic to players and some, I would always ask them questions about what got you into, into the game. And it was just a, it felt like a, uh, a place for someone to kind of talk about their magic journey, talk about what got them into it. And then all of a sudden I was making magic friends online and my, my viewership was, was going, um, was just kept climbing and it was climbing at a rate that I didn't really expect. I got partnered pretty quickly, and then just after that is when the MPL came in. So I think that a lot of things fell into uh, place perfectly. So I don't think that my, I don't think that my talent or my ability to, you know, I wasn't trying to figure out how to be big. You know, I was just yeah. doing things things naturally. So as far as advice, like specific advice on how do you grow in an environment, um, is I don't even really know. Um, I don't have a, I didn't have a plan. 
Now there's things I would have done differently and things that I, that I recognize now are sort of um, shortcomings that I would, that I can talk about because I think my, I think my growth, I think I could have taken a different trajectory had I paid attention to some things. Um, One of the things is pay attention to uh, not, not being afraid to monetize your content because, um, and that's one of the things that, that people in general struggle with when they're getting into something new is they always feel this, this underconfidence of, you know, well, I'm not big yet, or I'm not as (laughs) good as someone else. So I'm not going to monetize my content. Like doing, let's say just doing simply something like deck techs. There's a person in my chat that says, Hey, I'm new. Can you look at my, you know, my deck of whole bunch of cards I threw together and you look at it and you go, yeek, you know, you've got a lot of different things going on here. Can we talk about that? And they are getting genuinely advice. They're getting advice. You know, they're getting mm-hmm. information to help their uh, their deck improve. And if they're willing to listen, some people aren't. Some people just want to show you their their stuff, and then they get mad when you ask them, you know, questions about it. But I try to be open with that. I try to say, okay, what are you trying to do, and where, you know, where's your your thinking with these card selections and choices? And and again, I'm not trying to be. Oh, I, I've had more experience, so I'm going to tell you what to do. Yeah. But I want to maybe unlock the the way of thinking and say, if you're trying to accomplish, you know, a creature based deck, well, you only have 12 creatures. I mean, they're good creatures, but maybe you need to figure out, you know, how to how to if your main objective is to attack with creatures, you need to put more in, and maybe we can look at your mana curve and the types of creatures that synergize well, and have that conversation so they go, oh, okay, I, I see where. I want my deck to go and then you can come to a conclusion together. But still, that's that's time consuming. One, not everybody in the chat might be interested in that conversation. And there's nothing wrong with the streamer saying, hey, for uh, a small donation or, you know, whatever you want to set up your um, uh, a pay structure. Now, some people are turned off by that because they think it's a paywall. Um, I think mm-hmm. that if I was interested in in um, learning a new game and I ask someone who is a streamer for a certain advice that's very specific to me, if it's not just a casual, you know, conversation, maybe it is worth asking for, um, you know, something for that because that is, that is um, value, you know, and value should be, I think value at some point, you sh- it should be okay to ask, but I've never done that. And I think that looking back at a pay structure, there's also some, um, like value to like some sort of a queue where you say, okay, everybody like a uh, uh, Knox does a, a brew queue where he sets up, you know, if you want your deck to be played on stream by him, then he's going to put you in a queue and you're, there's going to be a, a, a certain, you know, structure to that. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's good. I don't, I don't think there's any problem with that, but new streamers will often not want to do that. And, um, and again, I've never have, and I think that's something that I would have changed much earlier and developed some sort of, a um, some sort of a, a, a program, a tier list, some way to, to, to offer value to people who want to pay and still offer something for people who just want to come in and, and chill out because they can still observe all that and gain, you know, knowledge and information. Um, but does that make sense? I mean, yeah, the, no, no, for I, sure. And, it, and I don't think it gets talked about either. It, it's, you know, people a lot of times don't want to throw these things out there because they feel a little, you know, the audience will be upset, you know, because I know if I did it, if I suddenly said, hey, if, 
uh, we're going to do brew cues and stuff, I think my audience would, would be surprised because I've never done it. So that it would be a shock. You would be like, oh, well, now yeah. we have to pay for that. That's weird. And they might, and it might turn people off. It might get more people interested to, you know, to, to put their brews up and be excited about, you know, on Wednesday, I'm going to, you know, showcase your deck. Maybe it gets more excitement. I really don't know how it would turn out, but I think it would be more positive than negative. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point, which is monetization, because it's, it's sort of a weird subject because now that actual content creation can be a viable career in sorts um mm-hmm. it's it's not only i mean it's just like being in the entertainment industry being an actor or 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 anything like that right being trying to be a comedian it's it's viable but really hard to get started um, right you know you know you sort of look at the path of a comedian they're not going to make any money for years and years unless they're like super funny right off the bat and they're perfect at comedy right right and same with streamers it's and and not just streamers but just content creators unless you hit the lottery and make that viral video or that viral stream somehow it's you're more than likely gonna just keep chugging along with little to nothing to show for it and and i'm not saying that's everybody but there's it's a good chunk because I, i think a lot of people expect you know the YouTube money or the Twitch money will just come easily to them. No, and yeah. it's, it, it's not, it, it's a, it's a tough journey. Like if that is your goal and you have the time and patience for that, more power to you. But I, I think right. a lot of people are misconstrued or, or there's this misconception that it's easy to get into and yeah. they think it's going to happen quickly. That, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's really something that I've, um, observed over the years and it's uh one of the things that i do uh, if you're not aware is i'm very open to um self-promotion in my channel i always let people know hey if you stream and if you or you youtube content or you do anything i don't even limit it to magic or or anything it's if you have something that you want to share i tell them you know drop links in my chat and uh it's brought me a lot of really interesting attention because some people and I and I know I, I know where the um, where the intentions are pretty quickly, and I and I trust that the audience does as well. So I never protect myself in the bubble of if you're here, this is what you're here for. It's me. I'm the most important thing in the room. Yeah. I say that if anyone wants to give this a shot, be a streamer, get out there, I encourage them to try, because it is very difficult, and I always make it very um, clear that that the audience will, will make it really, they'll make a decision really quickly, whether you're the person or they're, you're not the person. If they're ever going to watch you again, he's usually done very quickly. So while I, I suggest people try it and, and I promote anyone who comes in my channel, although I don't endorse everyone because I don't always <laughs> get a chance to see their streams, right? Yeah. Their, their content might not be something that I enjoy, but I don't believe that I should shield anybody necessarily from the opportunity. Um, if you want to be, uh, you know, any type of stream you want to throw out there, do it and see if your audience catches on. Like you said, you know, comedians, there's a lot of comedians, the the most successful ones are the ones that really get comfortable with their material and it makes it so genuine and it connects to the audience and the audience gets every joke. They're on the same wavelength. Everything is, is brilliant. That comfortable comedian that just seems like they're just talking about their life on the stage They've most likely 
practice that so often that it seems natural, but yep. it's the farthest thing from natural because they've written and edited and changed those jokes and the deliveries over and over. Um, and that is something, you know, we as streamers, I mean, I've probably said the same thing over and over. Sometimes my delivery is higher energy or lower energy, and sometimes I feel like, oh, I nailed it. You know, I, that analogy was really perfect and crisp at that time. And then I say the same thing over again, you know, three streams later with maybe a different delivery or a different, you know, and I, and I do, you know, intentionally think, you know, what, what's working, what's not working. I'm kind of editing myself, um, you know, constantly and, and trying to improve my delivery on things. But it's really interesting how the, the, uh, the, the people that come into my stream who are like really excited to, that I'm offering the opportunity to self-promote. And then other ones will just disappear and I'll never see them streaming again. Or it, I don't know what, um, I think being, being not necessarily consistent, but being, um, you know, having a schedule or, or getting out there over and over and over and not taking one stream as a, as a win or a lose or one stream as you're going to have bad days and it's, or you're going to have a bad interaction with chat. How do you, how does the next time that occurs, how do you handle it and how do you improve your, um, you know, your product, I guess, for all, all intents and purposes. And to feed off of that, the other thing is it is a, it is a, a product. It is a, um, you're delivering something. And I think with that, people don't typically think of it in the way that if you were running a business, a brick and mortar business, like a store of whatever sort, if your mind is in the same place as if my stream is my store or my shop or, you know, where I deliver my product, then you have to think of every customer who walks in, how do you approach them? So like, you know, you know, those retail stores where you walk in and there's always a greeter and they're like, Hey, can I help you? And you're like, Whoa, I've been attacked. Like you, you feel like <laughs> someone is right there. A lot of people don't like that. However, you know, even though we, we say, Oh, I'm just looking as soon as you go into a store and there's nobody, you're instantly like, could I get some help? <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're looking around like acknowledgement is important, even though maybe it feels uncomfortable. So when you see that person drop, drop in your chat and they say, hi, as soon as you look at, see that and say, Hey, how's it going? And no, uh, welcome to the stream. And, and then start maybe a little bit of a, you know, a, that new customer banter, the, well, what we do here is we sell shirts. And if you want to see, if you have any questions on shirts, come on by, you know, or, you know, ask me and, and then you open the door to their feeling, okay, I've been, I've been seen, I'm acknowledged. So, um, so it's like, there's so many little tidbits on, on how to grow and how to improve. And, and, um, Sorry if I'm kind of on off on oh, tangents. No, no, I no, that's fine. It's fine. I, I think it's all really good information. It's it's good to hear, you know, someone who has, you know, a lot of people will say, quote unquote, made it because there's a lot of people's, you know, desire to become a Twitch partner. And True. it's, you know, sort of like the top of the mountain for them. And, right, right. But and, it, it's still a lot of work, though. Yeah, absolutely. Goals are very important. Um, and to keep your eye on, on what's working and what's not working. Um, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for improvement for me personally, where I, I could be. Um, and I've learned that from some of the, when I was saying back before about some of the top streamers, um, they work really hard and they work hard off stream as well. Um, 
they get their their engagements and when they go to TwitchCon, they're not just there to have a good time. They're there to make connections and set up appointments. And um, those are sort of the things, the, the amount of effort and the amount of um, uh, the ability to kind of present yourself in a way that your your sponsors are going to be attracted to you. Uh, to your product and then therefore you know you 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 spiral into more and more sponsorships and you have to be professional you have to understand um that you are there's a two-way street and you have to be careful not to get taken advantage of and at the same time you um you want to be respectful of your sponsors and what they want you to do or what they want you to um to represent so as long as you're you know, really kind of um, genuine to yourself and your where you're going with your spart- your sponsorships and your partners that you you make. I think I think it's just it is a lot of hard work and it's a lot of work that people don't expect. Um, and unfortunately, too, is there's the age gap, the the youth and people that expect something to fall their way because they've achieved something that they think is valuable. Uh, I think the important thing is to realize where the value actually is. Is it because sometimes what you think is valuable is not what your, uh, not what the sponsorships or the other side is, you know, valuing. So to to be really um, aware of your place in the in the business scheme, and ultimately it comes down to advertising and and the the amount of people you're going to attract. That's really the bottom line. Is what where your audience is and where your footprint is how much how much um i think there's a term for it and i can't think of it right now where your your like your reach or whatever okay. your, your your ability to um you know what where your audience um can grow and and for me like i'm a family friendly streamer which is there, there's not too many people that say it out loud that they're family friendly. Um, and when I say family friendly, I mean, you know, 13 and up, you know, the typical magic yeah. the gathering audience. Um, I don't curse, but I'm, you know, and I keep my chat very, um, you know, very much in those lines. I have a high, high amount of moderation when it comes to, uh, words. And it's not because I'm afraid of words, but I want to have a place where people can like, I've had a lot of parents sit down their kid in front of my stream and, and they feel comfortable, you know. They don't feel like they have to worry about what, me going off the rails on some, some rant um, and using, you know, foul language. And again, it's not because I'm judging it. I just want to be a place where it can be, um, uh, you know, safe or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, and some streamers, like sometimes that makes people feel it's less. Um, like if you go to any card shop or game store. People are probably going to say bad words in just oh, real life, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, you're just yeah. gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna happen. So um, I don't think that it's ever affected my numbers. No one's ever said, "Oh, darn it, I can't say," you know, "I can't say bad words here. I'm out of here." No yeah. one's ever felt that felt that way, uh, at least to my knowledge. If they haven't, you know, if they've left because of that, that seems really strange—a strange thing to be offended by. But, um, but I guess it it does it defines me in a way right it defines mm-hmm. my audience in a way so i don't know i mean i think um it, i'm really trying to i don't there's not a perfect formula it, the the i think the best formula is to stick with it and to and to 
be true to your brand. And if you want to grow, find out, you know, there are definite ways to reach out, be proactive. Don't sit there and wait for someone to email you and say, hey, you're great. Can we sponsor you? This is never going to happen. <laughs> no, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Got to go after it. Yep. yep. That, that, that's one thing I quickly learned doing the podcast um, because what I was like 10 episodes in and I had decent downloads and all that and thinking, oh, yeah, the sponsors are going to start coming. Nope. Nope. I've, I had to reach out to so many people until I finally got that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. I got I don't know how many no's. And, and, yeah. and, oh, that, yeah. and, and you, you know, you bring up a good point where when you're not streaming and even, you know, podcasts right? even when I'm not recording a podcast, there is still a lot of work going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just a lot of networking. There's interacting on Twitter. And I, I, I think there's um, also maybe a misconception when you're on social media a lot and just even interacting, you know, with people feels like it's not work per se i mean it's not i i don't want to say like oh all my interactions on twitter are fake or anything like that but it's also i'm trying to show people that i'm genuine you know when i do self-promote my stuff that i'm just not self-promoting no i actually do interact with people on twitter and on instagram and all that and i mean that's part of networking too you know it's on top of all the other crap that goes on yeah, no, that, yeah, that's that's excellent. And and then, like when I talked earlier about self, you know, letting people self promote, one of the um, one of the tenets, the the main core tenets of that of that, you know, being generous and and giving people, um, that I think is a little bit. Uh, I've had some interesting conversations. I'll, I'll throw it out to you and and let me know what you think. Okay. There are, there are a couple ways of of. Um, thinking when it comes to, uh, providing, uh, I don't know, providing, letting someone, uh, opening the door to someone. So, so let me, let me put these in the perspective for you. If I were to, um, have a business arrangement and say, okay, I'm going to give, um, you know, um, promote this thing. If you will also promote my thing, like I'll, I'll give you a follow. If you follow me, the follow for follow idea yeah. is, is a transactional, um, opportunity where you're giving something in order to get something in return. And I personally think that that is, uh, although in business you, you think that makes perfect sense, it, it's logical to our human brains. If I do something for you, you do something for me. That's, hey, we're exchanging and therefore we're, we're cooperating with each other. Um, however, I don't believe in that at all. I believe in actually um, giving without any expectation of a return thing. So I will, if you have a need, or if you ask for something, I'll gladly say, of course, you know, I'll, I'll do that for you. And my my brain never goes to, well, I did you a favor, so now where's my favor in return? I'd simply throw it out there, offer. Now, if someone takes advantage of that, and I give and give and give opportunities, opportunities, and then I realize that they're just coming to me more often for those opportunities, then I might be more not reluctant but I might be have have just a, I understand the relationship and what is happening so I'm aware of it and then I can adjust you know accordingly now the other the, the more extreme opposite version of that is always asking for for people for favors like hey can you can you raid me when you when you finish your stream can you raid my stream and um and not ever 
returning any favors, but just getting, just asking people for favors. Yeah. Um, and you can d- definitely tell when that kind of person is around that there, there's never any intention of they're just taking, taking, taking. And of course, we can all agree that that kind of person is is not the person that you typically would support because you really quickly know that they're not there for a community. They're just there to take. Um, boost their numbers and all that. And boost, yeah, boost their numbers and do everything they can to, to, to spike that up. And you can very quickly tell because the minute you ask something of them, they're like, they shut you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the three person, I don't know if they're personality types, just aspects of, of, you know, generosity. Um, I think that most people will naturally go towards the middle one, which is the give and take. But I think if you focus, you change that perspective you never get disappointed. I'm, I'm never disappointed when someone doesn't raid my stream. I'm never disappointed when someone doesn't say, hey, thanks for that, you know, shout out or whatever. Like I ne- generally never even care if I get. Now, when people do go out of their way to, you know, shout me out in the post or say thanks for raiding me or even stop by and raid me in return, all those things are bonuses and they feel great and I appreciate everybody, but I, I never, I never ask for it and I never expect anybody to return the favors that I give. And, um, and I think that's kind of a cool place to be because I'm always genuinely excited about the community building and, and people, I think naturally feel it there. They feel like, um, of, of all the games and I haven't been a streamer for all of them, but I've heard a lot of different streamers say the magic community is so welcoming and, and great, and um, we do a great job self-promoting or not self-promoting, but promoting each other, is, especially the smaller streamers as they rise up, um, getting people excited about going to see someone's stream who might be lower in the numbers, but they have a great personality and they're they're just fun. I, I love watching streamers grow. It's uh, And I've been really lucky. I've actually met some of the, the streamers when they first started, like uh, Voxy, uh, Muffin Pastry Pie was one of the streamers that I went into, and she was just just streaming off her headset in a small room, and she was asking about what mic she should use. And then she was in the uh, the Mythic Championship, you know, a couple months later. It was crazy yeah. to watch watch people, you know, from literally just starting the game even, um, and then grow into some of the bigger streamers. Now has been a blast for me. So I love watching that growth and that and that, um, prosperity and what people get, um, the, you know, the audience that they can, can attract. Um, so, but for me that, that simple fact of generosity without expecting anything back for me was a, a big, um, a big reason that I, I believe that I, I both watched success and I, I grew as well with that no, no, mindset. And, and that's good to hear. It's, um, I try to do something somewhere. I, I definitely don't probably do it as much as I used to is definitely try to help the smaller content creators. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not a big content creator by any means or anything, but it's one of the things that I always want to try to help out with is help smaller ones out. And whether mm-hmm. that's just by retweeting their stuff or giving them, you know, a subscription on YouTube or giving them or, or if they ask my advice on you know, like, hey, what'd you think of this video type thing? You know, I'll gladly try to do it if I have the time. And yeah. it's it, it's something, you know, because I, I understand I've been there. Be, you know, I, I feel like I'm comfortable with my brand at this point to where I know what my podcast is and isn't at this point. I feel like I've mm-hmm. grown and I, I've settled 
to where I, I where I want it to be. I mean, obviously, I still want it to be bigger, uh, of course, and um, but I have to be realistic with my time commitment on it because of you know my job and family, and right. so it's you know I, I that's part of what my other tweet was was trying to get some some. Co- uh, newer content creators out there like such as yourself um yeah. i consider you newer <laughs> um, yeah, I, and I agree and, and it's also maybe try to get some smaller ones out there too just to you, you know yeah. even if that even if that gives them a little bit of a boost and it's not much but it gives them that confidence and all that hey that's awesome right you know i'm glad exactly. i could i'm glad i could provide that you know for right. them and you know that gets me excited to help out as well too uh right one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I think you briefly sort of mentioned it. Um, so you mentioned you've been playing Magic since 93. Uh, right. Have you always been a competitive player or, or what's sort of been your Magic journey? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really good one. Yes. So I started, um, I was really lucky to start Magic in Southern California. There was a couple game stores that were... Um, sort of the home of, of many of the early um, the early players, the early competitive scene. Um, and so I was there when they were learning the game and um, kind of, you know, getting their uh, get, getting the, the strategies of, of what makes magic competitive. It was way before the you know first pro tour. but um, was that during but, alpha beta and all that? Yeah, yeah. Arabian Nights had just come out oh, when okay. I was starting to play, and then um, I believe the first—I want to say Antiquities was out when the first Pro Tour occurred. So a lot of you know there was millstones and <laughs> you know, but the Library of Alexandria and you know there's just a lot of core um, OG cards. But the yeah, so I played like with casually with friends first in you know the kitchen table magic where we didn't know the rules. And then we started going to the game store and there wasn't necessarily um, judges, but there was still a structure and, um, you know, the, the people around you, you know, you did play the game at a higher level and it was a, it was about winning. So when I would go, I, I quickly learned that the type of magic that I was getting into or that I was interested in that, you know, going to the local store and then trying to win that, you know, whatever the store credit was, $50 store credit was really important because then you'd buy more packs and get more cards and you you could get, you know, you could make your deck better. And, um, so going to the game store on Friday and having the whole week to tune up my deck was a very different experience. My kitchen table friends started disliking playing with me because I would try to end the game and, you know, three turns and they were like, Hey, we're, we're trying to play magic. We're trying to enjoy ourselves with, you know, these playing pirate ship, in you know your deck was a fun thing to do but you would never dream of putting that in a competitive deck well, so when when you started did they have the the you can only have four of a single card in the deck yet uh they i played a couple tournaments where that wasn't the case and i played howling mine um howling mines um black vice and what was the other kill card so i was basically filling your hand up and then killing you with vice I think oh, it was soul gross. ring, soul rings. Yeah. Soul rings. <laughs> and yeah, there was no limit. So it was 10 soul rings. Oh um, my you know, God. <laughs> 20, 20 black That's vices awesome. and you know, 10 howling minds or whatever. And a couple of, 
you know, but it was, it would just spin off into this, you know, completely ridiculous. Um, some people were doing, you know, lotuses and bolts and, yeah, you, you know, five bolts to the face and then drawing more cards. It was just, so, it was really wide open. So yeah, I played a, a couple of those un, unrestricted tournaments and then they started developing, you know, um, only one Lotus in each deck and one channel and one fireball, or you could have four fireballs, I think, but channel and, uh, I think Lotus and channel were restricted, but yeah, those were, those are definitely interesting and fun days of magic exploring, you know, what made competitive decks different, but, but I wasn't a competitive human being. Like it's not in my nature. My gaming style is very much more of a story based role playing style. Um, and I, I often tell the story about my original gaming experience when I was really young was my grandmother would, would play uh, board games with me right before bed. And it would always be when this game's over, you're going to bed. And so I always, my strategy was always prolonging the game as much as possible. I didn't want to win and I didn't <laughs> want to lose. I just didn't want to go to bed. So I would, my, all the things that I would do in the games were to, you know, knock my, my grandmother's piece back three spaces or block her from her winning the game. So it's a very different mentality when you're trying to prolong a game than it is when you're trying to win a game. And I feel that um, that it's important because now in Magic, I often miss lethal, and I it's because my brain isn't wired for, for lethal. My brain's wired for, let's take five more turns. So it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting self-observation. You have to know why you're doing the things you're doing and why you're making decisions you're making. And um, a competitive game, it's, it's, I, I have to be very focused on what I'm doing in the game and how I'm going to win the game. And it has to be very clear and I have to be very, um, I have to put myself in that mindset. So I was competitive from 93, kind of casual you know, game shops, by the time I moved here to Vegas, I was really trying hard to get on the Pro Tour. That was 95, 95, 6, and 7. And, and I actually made nationals twice in a row. So I won my regional, um, you know, the regional uh, invitation mm -hmm. for the Southwest. I went to, uh, it was in, where was it? Columbus, Ohio. Um, what, what convention is that? Was it Gen Con, I think? I, believe, I, might, I don't remember. I don't. For some reason, it's slipping my mind. All right. Yeah, well, one of those, wherever nationals, U.S. nationals was in 96, I was there. I believe that was the uh, junior pro tour as well. So John Finkel was there at age 16. Um, I know that Covert Go Blue, who is another streamer, he was at that event as well. He was on the junior pro tour as a young man. So it was really cool to be part of those original, you know, competitive events. So I didn't do well at the national competition, but I was there. I earned my I earned my spot. Um, I felt that was my highest, you know, achievement on um, as far as you know, competitive. Then the next year, back to back, I went. I didn't get the regional spot, but I went to. A, a lot of my friends had had been invited, so I went to Columbus again. And I actually won a grinder which was the last chance to get into the uh, nationals competition. Mm -hmm. They played a bunch of, um, they, they call them grinders and they just run them every four hours and they, you queue up and you have to go undefeated. And I went nine and O with a red deck. Oh wow. It, it was old school, Viachino, Sandstalker, um, ball lightnings, 
Oh, wow. Fire, Fire Blast, Mog Fanatic. Um, <laughs> it was it was a blast to run. It was so fast and so powerful. It came out of nowhere. Um, the big deck of the weekend was uh, Counterpost, you know, all kinds of, you know, Drago sort of you yeah. know, white-blue control that was really powerful, but it was also big-brained. And when you're doing a, a grinder, you know, the last-minute grinder, there were so many people that were just so tired of playing magic, you could see it in their eyes, and I was just tearing them up with. Um, I would I would sit down, and then I'd be walking up to the judges, and the first few rounds, the, the guys would be like, "Oh, you have a question?" I said, "No, my question is, where do I turn in the slip?" And they were like, "Whoa!" Like literally, people were still shuffling, and I was winning so quickly. Oh wow! Um, and at that at that point, I just started getting up, and they're like, "Yep, yeah, put your win list right over there." And I'm like, "No problem." And it was just <laughs> it was a it was a joke. It, I was tearing through people so quickly, and um, and yeah, I went nine and zero. And then the funny part about feeling so confident, feeling I was on top of the world, uh, everything fell apart when I actually got to the competition. I I was literally probably last place, um, but oh, it, it was it was a great experience. Though it was fun yeah. to be to be there, and you know the highs and lows of magic and competitive magic and paper is really really exciting. And I I got to see, like I said, some of the best players in the world. Um, Randy Bueller was there with his Necro deck. Um, uh, you know, the, the list of, of players that I met in, in, in the competitive magic scene was really long and, and I'm lucky to have been part of it for so long, but I was never, uh, never on the pro tour. And that was like the claim, my claim to fame was two back to back nationals just getting there. But, um, nice. but yeah, that's kind of where it was. And then after that, I, you know, life and family and, had a kid, all these things. And that's the, the turning point back to arena is where I think it exposes magic to players that have families and lives and yes. uh, they can't go to the game store. Right. So arena does give an opportunity for players to either return to a game that they loved, but they can't go to the game store anymore, or they're just not in that place in life and you can still be competitive. You can still have a great time casually um, there are avenues to improving your game and getting on these these big, huge money um, tournaments. You know, it takes a lot of work though and a lot of effort. But Arena opened that door to so many different players, so that's where yes. I'm excited about that. No, I'm so because I used to be. Um, I mean, the reason I started this podcast was to really sort of journal my travels of going from kitchen player to competitive and i thought mm -hmm. i really wanted to be competitive and then life and time hits you in the face right. and um one of the things that i one of my favorite formats is standard i love standard um but as we all know it can get super expensive to keep up with it mm -hmm. and that is where Magic Arena is perfect for someone like me since I love standard and I don't get to go out and play magic all the time. Uh, yeah. pr pretty much the only paper formats I even play now are commander and cube. Um, yep. So the I, I pretty much stopped playing standard completely when Ravnica Allegiance came out at paper standard, I should say, and um, have just been pretty much playing standard on nothing but magic arena and like you said it's perfect i can log on to the game at 2 a.m in the morning if i wanted to and get like 10 matches of standard in and feel fine right yep that's great i agree and i'm the same way i play commander if i do play paper the last um event in, in uh vegas the magic fest i was i did a few 
side tournament um, drafts or something just for fun. But I spent mm-hmm. my time in that command zone. And if you're anywhere near Magic Fest, the command zone is such a fun place to meet people and have a, have some great games of Commander. And I, I fell in love with the format. I knew about it for years. I played it on MTGO, but it was never the same. Yeah, it's really as, not the same on there yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. The the interaction and the the casual board game feel and the the uh, I, I just really fell in love with the format, the wheeling and dealing, and all the politics and the the casual feel of of Magic is is something that um, Commander is really exciting. I think that's one of the most uh, interesting formats on paper, but I only have one deck and a couple of the pre-cons. Uh, but I, I'm really confident that the pre-cons give you that same feel. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and they're they're well-tuned and they're they're interesting. I was really excited about this last batch of pre-cons and the new ones, um, hoping are... I, I know that the team that's behind it is really in love with the game, so I feel confident that they're going to build a very well-balanced and interesting, interacting... Um, commander decks and that's a great place for people to start too oh yeah no i'm pretty excited about the icoria ones um i'm actually mm-hmm. going to magic fest west palm beach um next month and Ooh. i haven't been to a magic fest since uh, magic fest tampa last year and i was only there for a couple hours to sell a big chunk of my collection yeah and um they, they didn't even have the command zone yet because i don't think the command zone what they they started doing that late last year i think yeah yep they um, did and so I'm pretty excited. I'm going to try to make my way to Magic Fest Vegas, hopefully, this year. Because I, I try to do at least two Magic Fests a year. And um, cool. lately, hey, Vegas. yeah, I, I, I really want to go to Vegas. I hope so. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that um, there's a few, obviously, a lot of the streamers you go. But yeah. um, there's always a, you know, we try to do meetups and, and be really... It's really exciting. It's it's one of the the most fun things. So yeah, absolutely. Keep me posted in all the, all the travel information. I think that I'm definitely going to TwitchCon this year and Magic Fest Vegas. I think is the only one I'm going to travel to because I don't have to travel. I live here in Vegas. Yeah, no, that so, that's super easy. How for convenient. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know the biggest Magic Fest of the year. You're right there. So <laughs> right. Ma- makes right. it easy. Um, no, it's. If I do go, because my wife and I, we try to do a vacation once a year, and we went to Vegas last year for our Ah. 10-year wedding anniversary, and so we feel like we didn't have enough time to experience Vegas. We were only there for like three and a half days, so we want to go again this year, but if we do end up going, it'll be, we'll come there on like a Monday or Tuesday, and she has no interest in going to Magic Fest Vegas, so she told me... Like, we'll have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and possibly Friday together, and then I just go off and do my thing at Magic Fest Vegas if we go. Yeah, that's cool. So, Because she's got friends in Vegas, so she can just hang out with them on the weekend and all that. Right, and you'll spend at the event. That's great. Yeah, yeah. hopefully that'll that'll work out. That sounds like I'm, a I'm hoping. plan. Awesome. Hope. But, um, so, one thing I want to bring up, and I'd be remiss if I don't, you mentioned D&D. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so I, I gotta know what are let, let's just talk D and D. When did you start? Are you still playing? Do you DM? Do you play? You know, let's let's go with the whole gambit here. Okay, so I do. Um, I'm start. I used to DM uh, my campaigns with my roommates and friends, 
And that's where I love to be, game mastering, dungeon mastering. I started out, actually, the very first role-playing game was D&D. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. I remember I, I started, I think, with a gnome, but because I, I didn't know what they were. I thought it was neat. And then I ended up with a ranger. Um, and it was the old school... Um, I think rangers had to be humans and I think, or maybe I was a half elf. I don't know. It was just so it, it, it just opened the, the whole idea, the whole genre of fantasy role playing was, um, was blowing my mind. I, I'd never, I never knew that it was a thing. And as soon as I got involved in it and I opened my first module and looked at the, uh, it was, you know, the world of Greyhawk way back in OG D and D, which I don't even think Greyhawk is licensed under wizards anymore no. or had, I think it's, it's a split off, but that was the original D and D content that I was consuming, and um, mine was Dragonlance. I freaking oh, fell in love with Dragonlance. Yeah, yeah, that was that was later for me. Dragonlance was a big deal. Forgotten Realms, of course, um, reading the books and getting into that, and then of course Forgotten Realms is kind of where it's at right now. But but yeah, Dragonlance is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, do you like? Do you think they that Dragonlance? I remember running. I ran a um, a Kinder. And I had the most fun role playing that character because, you know, Tasselhoff was amazing. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, there's, there's, I have so much love for, for role playing in general, but yeah, it started really early for me with, uh, with that. And I was, I was DMing, um, I'm pretty sure it was a forgotten realms campaign, but I was, uh, really, you know, I, I'd loved creating my own worlds mm-hmm. and creating my own, you know, it's nice to have source material, but but at the same time, I think that um, th- there was a certain magic in not knowing how things worked. And I remember the very first, you know, D&D games where you ran into a, a gelatinous cube and you were like, OK, is this the one that we can hit with sharp objects or do we need blunt weapons <laughs> or is it fire? Is it acid? And just going through that, that figuring it out, it was like not knowing what a beholder was and not knowing how its eye stalks worked and. I don't know. Oh. It just there were so many really fun memories of really early D and D that I think sort of gets lost now because of the you know the amount of knowledge people have, the ability to look at source material, and so I my current campaign is in my own world, and I very intentionally change things, the way the behavior of monsters, the behavior of um, things. I do that intentionally because I, I want. I do the, the same exact thing yeah. in my world too. Because yeah. Just for example, in my world, drow are not inherently evil. Cool. Uh, yeah. Dra- drow and drow actually live above the surface. I mean, it, it's you can find them under the mountains, but they they live on the surface as well too. And it's actually high elves and wood elves are more evil than drows in my world. That's cool. I like that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, and that's exactly. I think changing the you know giving players the experience that is you know interesting is more important than, you know, following some sort of rule book or some sort of a, a trope that's been developed. Um, so I, I, I believe the same sort of stuff in, in my world, like, you know, orcs and half orcs and, and, uh, you know, the, the less human demi humans are yeah. well, welcome and, and they have thriving businesses and yep. it's not, you know, not this segregation or whatever of uh, race, racial bias, you know, elves can, you know, interact with orcs and sit at the same table and, you know, eat food and not be offended by cultural mannerisms. My, my world is, is very much more open to, um, the real threats, which are the, you know, 
the undead and the and the creatures that are trying to eat the flesh of the living, yeah. I think are more more a little more. Uh, you have to be worried more about them them than you have to be worried about your you know different tribes of you know wood elves and whatever. But I agree with you. I think it's fun to explore those, you know, change things up, make you know make the unexpected happen. And I think that's where world building is really cool. But yeah, I, so I've been playing, uh, I actually took a long break from D and D when they sw- started switching to all the other versions. I tried to play them and really was, did, put did off. you start with the first ad- advanced D and D the first one? Oh yeah. I played, I played original advanced dungeons and dragons and then second edition. And then, um, yeah, second is where I started. Yeah. Second edition is great. And then they sort of went off on weird tactical challenge. Like some of the ways that they developed the game to make them feel like an MMO or whatever, you know, the yeah, that, daily that powers. More, that was more fourth edition. And thir- yeah. third edition, I know, is like the most popular or, yeah. or was until fifth edition came out. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth edition is is feels more like the original D&D to me. Gives you a little more freedom. Um yeah, it, it's. Uh, ha- have you looked at to, looked into Pathfinder at all? I haven't. I heard so many good things about it, and it felt like something I would be naturally interested in. But I just never during that phase. I just never bought the source material and never really did it. But I've heard so many good things. So I don't really know anything about Pathfinder First Edition except it's very, according to a lot of people, it's very similar to three point five. Okay. Um, D so but i just recently got the second edition pathfinder source book okay and now, now don't get me wrong i love D fifth edition but i feel like as a dm and maybe you can understand this too but as, as a dm and even sometimes as a player i feel like there's up too much stuff in fifth edition that's up to dm's discretion and i feel yeah. like there were i wish there were a little bit more rules just on certain stuff and it's hard to say on what until you come across that situation in your game like um i i I can't even give an example because there's just so much you probably know what i mean like there's something that happens one of your players wants to do there's no rules for it at all so you just sort of have to make it up on the spot where pathfinder gives you looking over the rules there's a lot of the stuff where it's like oh i wish D had this you know yeah. and you sort of yeah. use the rules based off that um so it, it's yeah it's very interesting i definitely recommend just reading it, the source book and all that it's the customization player characters can do holy crap makes that's nice makes D fifth edition pale in comparison yeah i think that's really interesting um I've been through both sides of that gaming perspective. The games that are so detailed that you, you know, the, the rules are just these volumes and they, they cover everything and you have a base, you know, as long as you have, you feel like you have a reference point and you can always go there to find how this works. And then the other, the other end is these wide open. Um, I think it's up to the players and, players can abuse those wide open yeah. situations and it sometimes you when you're always making things up on the spot then you have a problem with consistency like well, mm-hmm. well last time we did this and i you know and so i think that i personally like the fluidity of making calls because i make the calls realistic or even mm-hmm. sometimes it's just about the dice you know what are the dice how are the dice going to determine this action um and it's sometimes hard to role play because someone um, 
might have a fantastic idea that is so good that you just say, okay, it works, and there's no dice involved. Sometimes the dice ruin those moments where someone has a really, they really go outside of their, you know, they find a really cool and creative place to be. Yeah. And then, and you're like, oh, the dice say no. And that can feel pretty bad when it's all up to die, die rolls. Then you're like, then the players don't even ask questions. They just roll the dice. And if I get high enough, then I'll, I'll make it up and make it look cool. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think that's kind of a dangerous place to be too, where you're just, you know, you're not even caring anymore because the dice will d- dictate everything. But um, on the other so uh, the game system that I actually fell in love with um, way back in the day was something called the Hero System. I don't know if you've heard of Champions. It was a pen and paper superhero role-playing game. And the the system that they used really caught my attention because it was a lot more stats, like, you know, 18 or maybe it was 15 or 13 stats. Mm-hmm. And and those stats were so much more diverse and they made they they locked into my brain so much easier than the D&D stats did that I was like, "Oh, I get it." Like for champions there was a hit roll because you had to make contact with your target and then there was defenses after the hit roll. And that to me made so much more sense than armor class because I couldn't ever get in my head how a knight or you know a, a dwarf with thick mithril armor had an armor class of whatever and then a thief or rogue with, you know, lightning cat-like reflexes and avoiding the damage, to me it felt like it's two separate things. But in D&D it only was just, hey, it's your armor class. And um, yeah. so the the champions or the hero system broke down, you know, being hit and then being tough or, and ha- handling the hit once you were hit or weren't hit. So I think that that, and then also it broke it down so many other physical and energy attacks and it broke down your psionic, you know, or mental abilities, your mental strength, your, your, um, it had wisdom and intelligence and, and it just, it just felt more, um, logical to me. So I fell in love with that system. They, they of course had various game systems like, uh, it went from hero superheroes to espionage sort of, you know, spies. Cause I think top secret was a popular game at one point where you were a spy and, and then they had a, um, like a pulp sort of, um, it's the, I don't know, it's sort of like an Indiana Jones feel like, you know, a, a, oh, okay. you, you know, that, that sort of, uh, like adventure. adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Action adventure themed. Then they did a fantasy hero, which was their version of D and D, you know, their, their, um, and anyways, I, I really got into that game system. So it, it, that game system sounds to me exactly like what you're talking about. It was flexible, but it was also very detailed. So you could make any skill, any science skill, for instance. So there wasn't necessarily there was a list of suggestions, but the the way they did their um, their role playing game is when it came to powers or skills, you could just say, "I have you know, um, you know, I'm an undead scientist. I have I have undeadology or <laughs> whatever you want to call it." <laughs> yeah. And you would just you would just say, "I had that skill," and then you would assign points to it to give you a die roll. So if you had enough points, you'd get a 14 or less. A moderate amount of points, you'd have 11 if you were just barely dabbling in it. And I'm sorry, I talk about the 8 or less, 14 or less, whatever. These are the skill. The game was based on 3D6 was your um, your primary success die. You okay. would have to roll, roll low. So when you roll 3D6, the average is 9. So the... Um, 
the game system was based on if you had a very little knowledge of something, it was typically an eight or eight or less success rate. So you would roll your three d three d six, and generally you'd have to roll pretty good to get eight or less, and that was your your success rate. And then as you go higher, eleven or less is going to happen more often because you're going to roll nine on average. Um, and then of course you know so the 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 reason that I've liked that three d six die roll system is it felt a lot more. Um, if when if you do the the math of bell curves and all that stuff when it comes to rolling dice, a d20 is so swingy. I don't how, know how people love that system. Yeah, you really. Either, you know, <laughs> it's like anything can happen. You either swing your sword wildly and and chop off your own finger, or you nail someone perfectly in the their visor with your sword. But the the amount of complete random on a five, you know, you literally have five percent chance of any result. And that to me feels so unrealistic because if I'm an archer and I'm trying to hit the bullseye, it's going to be a lot more often that I'm hitting the target close to the bullseye than I am wildly shooting my arrow off into space. Yeah. So, so to me, the 3D6 system, again, back to the, the, the formula or the rules of the game fitting into uh, what feels logical and feels right, it felt like the outcomes and your skills and your powers really made sense and they really, you could you could build a character and go in a direction you wanted and the dice could mess you up, but the averages were always strong. I don't know. I felt like that system was brilliant for that reason. And I'd have it's to one check the, it out. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not a popular system anymore. It's definitely not something that is even sold. I, I found some revised rules. They've changed things a lot. Um, but it's unfortunately not a system that it, it's so, uh, what is it called? Like it's very, it feels very min maxi and grindy because there's so many stats and so many roles yeah the only reason i love it is because i i played it for so long so i know it like the back of my hand but when i've tried to teach people they look at the rule they're they're like uh this is a lot so i don't know but yeah if you want to explore it um by all means uh it's just an interesting like the how the rules affect how the rules and how the um the game mechanics affect the actual play experience, I think is really important, you know, and, and because it has to be a solid enough system to be out of the way, but then really support the game. When people try to do something, they have to understand what's happening. Like, and they have to understand why it, you know, why this die roll counts or what it means or, or whatever. But, uh, I think that sort of stuff is fascinating. Like the, the amount of people that are into games now, that are new and need to be, you know, that don't want to deal with rules. They come from, you know, computer games that do all the calculations for them. When I sit down in front of new players and (laughs) and I'm like, what's your decks? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Why does that apply to my, why does that give me bonuses to my, you know, archery? It's like, okay. And then you have to go through very painstaking, you know, how all these things work and how your skills add and, oh, you leveled up. So you'd get another proficiency. And they're like, why? It like, it really blows their mind. Um, so the system has to be simple, but yet still has to be there enough for people to, you know, grasp it and then want to play again. And I know it's a, I think it's fascinating conversation and I love, um, I, I just love it because I've been doing gaming and all those different levels for so long that I feel like some of the biggest challenges is just getting new, just getting a simple rule set that players are going to um, understand. And I don't think fifth edition is actually that good at that. 
I think I've well, yeah, that that's mm-hmm. one of my biggest complaints about fifth edition is the I mean, once you learn the rules, it's pretty simple, but mm-hmm. the layout of the player's handbook is terrible. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's um, there's too much flipping back and forth. That is one thing that I feel the Pathfinder second edition book deals a lot better is each chapter is very easy to determine what's what um, and where you're going to learn what rule. I mean, yeah, it's like a 700 page book, but, you know, if you need to learn about all, all your classes abilities, look at the class chapter. If you need to learn all about combat abilities, it's all in the combat chapter. And it, it just feels like it's easier to navigate if that makes sense. And yeah, it, I wanna it, yeah, it, you wanna check it out. Sounds yeah, good. The layout feels better. Um and that is definitely one of the weaknesses of fifth edition. And yeah, I, I've noticed that too with a lot of new players. Um that because I do instead of doing F and M on Fridays, I do D and D on Friday nights. I DM mm-hmm. at my LGS, and I oh, also cool. play there a couple nights at, as a player. And nice. there's just too many times. And maybe it is today's culture. I mean, I don't even notice it with younger, newer players, but even players that are like my age in the in the the young to mid thirties and all the mm-hmm. early to mid thirties. It's same thing. They don't know anything. They expect the DM to teach him everything which is fine but it's also you know i kind of expect that sort of behavior maybe the first couple sessions if they really want to play and then after that it's sort of like well come on start learning your class now you know you've played for a couple months now you need to start learning your abilities i can't remind you like what magic missile does every single every single week and all that right and it's it, it gets i hate to say it gets frustrating but it does get frustrating a little bit because it's just like the same thing over and over again sure um, no but, I'm, I, I i agree with you 100 percent. i also think that sometimes the when a new player comes in because i've played for so many years i get tired of the same you know of course they're excited they don't know that the warlock is the same warlock like the the amount of new players that play that same warlock who have the book that whispers to them and they're they so they're so excited about that moment and i roll my eyes every time because i'm like this guy is the same guy that everybody is they're they're you know they look back and forth and they're whispering to their book and they're feeling like they have some sort of mystic this secret that no one else (laughs) i'm like you're like every other warlock and and all they do is cast eldritch blast (laughs) right over and over and over (laughs) that reminds me it's it's there is an exact player on my wednesday game that does just that he uh (laughs) we we, uh my dm he he's in my friday game so he but he does uh he's doing like a homebrew forgotten realms campaign it's like a mix of a bunch of the source books Mm -hmm. um but it's but it's pretty fun though it's uh and we had this guy join he made a warlock and of course we're all trying to be like you know i wouldn't say completely lawful good but for the most part good or neutral and all that and he comes in well i'm gonna be you know like lawful evil or something and right and i'm gonna be in my warlock he was summoned by asmodeus and all this yeah. that we're just like oh my <laughs> god and, and 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 it wasn't so much that i don't have a problem with that as long as it was role played well but right he he was he, he's gotten way better over the course of a year because he's right. actually stuck with it for a year but at wow. the beginning he was just absolutely terrible he would literally we'd be in a fight in a cave and like we'd have because pretty much 
we only really have two casters, the warlock and a sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is kind of a martial class, so we were all ganging up on this group of orcs or whatever in a cave, and he literally cast the darkness spell on all of us, including the right. orcs, and we're like... <laughs> Everybody at the table got mad, and I'm like, why would you do that? Right, right. (laughs) Now everybody that's there, we're all screwed now. Do you you understand? Right, right. There will be repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's – it's really – it is very interesting when someone tries to push the – you know, the either the alignment buttons and and expect to, you know, meld in. And I guess as a – you know, there was always Raceland and there was always, you know, there's always the characters that yeah. work well, but you have to find that there's character connections, you know, and, and I think that there's different types of players too. There's players that really uh, immerse themselves into the roles and there's other players that are just rolling dice and they just want outcomes or they're, you know, murder hobos. They yeah. just want to just do something to, to impact the world and see how things happen. And I'm always yeah. uh, <laughs> like, you know, you don't just kill the shopkeeper because he doesn't like he doesn't want to buy your whatever oh my speaking of that i just literally had that in my friday game so it's um i I fear so so all my i've been playing the same campaign it's a homebrew campaign and set of my own world i've been doing it for over a year now and all and it's a world that i've had developed like since i was in college and all that yeah Um, and, and it's just slowly evolved over time right and it's it's now gotten to a point to where my players they're between levels nine to 12. So uh-huh. they all think they're big, you know, badasses <laughs> and all that. Right, and right. so I, I literally brought them into a town and they went to the magic shop and the, the magic shop owner was like a trickster wizard or uh-huh. something. Like he, he made a whole bunch of like goofball magic items. Right. And the, the paladin of the group got, mad at him thinking that he was trying to like cast a magic spell on him and it was like threatening to kill him and i and i had to tell him like dude i know you're lawful neutral but you're really pushing it at this point like being evil where he was trying to play a prank on you and now you're threatening to kill him and he's like no but you you know he he's my sworn enemy or something i'm like dude you're really pushing it now (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and it's getting to that point where i'm noticing they're getting all cocky Right. Um, because it wasn't like that at the lower levels, you know, like a little kobold would scare them at the lower levels and right. all that. Na- right. Now it's, it's, I have to, and, and I, I happen to make the shopkeep because I, I had a feeling that they were going to try to steal from this wizard shopkeep. So I kind of made them quote unquote level 20 in right. the ba- in the back of my mind where like, right. okay, he's going to cast time stop and he's just going to do some really powerful magic spell where he makes the entire shop go empty and steals all and brings all this stuff with him somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, no, that's interesting. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause players don't know the, I, I feel the same thing. There definitely players get to a point where they want to, they want to push the buttons. I don't know if it, why yeah. that happens, but they want to definitely explore their power level. And, um, I've always had that like where the, where the, either the town guard or the captain of the guard will say something sternly and the players just don't, but they're just like, yeah, you're just a guard. <laughs> you or, know? Yeah, like, or, 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 or it'll take, Oh, you, you offended me. Now I have to kill you. <laughs> right. Like, is that, yeah. Is that, that serious? Yeah. Why, why take oh, it to that level? Gosh, yeah. Just because you have a sword on your hip. Why are you that, um, you know, why do things escalate that quickly? It's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, um, it, it's it, and it's funny because I'm noticing that and I'm having to and it's getting to a point where I've told them like now that you guys are getting higher levels, I'm going to have to make harder encounters now. Mm-hmm, and right. I, I actually last Friday, sorry for just going on personal stuff here, but no, it, it's I, I think you'd enjoy it because I so the previous week they had just fought a an adult white dragon that a death knight controlled and uh-huh. they decided that you, you know it was a very hard battle pretty i had i have player i have seven players almost all of them went down except two of them and wow. they managed to take it out I, I did not make it easy on them at all and um so p- part so i decided to give them some magic items i allowed them to keep the death knight longsword and mm-hmm. but i kind of made it a cursed item and the barbarian wanted it really bad so i told the barbarian all right well it's cursed and every time you decide to use that in battle you're going to have a 35 percent chance to hit a non-hostile creature one of your party members Ooh, wow. and, and so i i decided to make a rather easy encounter for them to try to try to boost up their confidence to make them feel good because a lot of them had just leveled up and I wanted them to feel like hey we're we're big badasses now you know right and so I I made like this they they were camping out at night and they they were they were on their way to this town where the the trickster wizard was and so like a group of thieves decided to try to steal from their cart they, they obviously found it and all that and it was supposed to be a rather easy battle but since the barbarian took the new cursed sword and um, right. rolled really really bad almost killed everybody wow. in the group <laughs> wow <laughs> it ended up being like almost a three-hour battle because of that i'm like oh my, oh my god. god it was not wow. supposed to be that long it was supposed to be like maybe 30 45 minutes tops <laughs> wow that's awesome though. they, that's they really had cool they had to figure out a way to stop the barbarian. <laughs> right, it was just right. hilarious. Cause he was just going hog wild with his new weapon. He didn't seem to care about hurting anybody. Yeah. yeah. It, it was hilarious. Cause he took down the blade song wizard. Um, mm-hmm. the, and the paladin, um, uh, happened. And it was one of those nights. It's funny. You mentioned the D 20, like I only have a 5% chance, you know, on what you roll on right. the paladin literally who's the strongest character. My, besides the wizard could not hit anything that night. He couldn't roll above a five and wow. couldn't hit anything. Yeah. Um, that's my, my story of my life. <laughs> I'm so bad at rolling. Oh my God. And I, I that's gotta be a DM thing because there are literally some nights as a DM where I cannot hit any of the players except one. Yeah. And they always feel like I'm targeting them. I'm like, <laughs> dude, it's just the dice. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've been there so many times. What do you, what is your opinion on, um, concealed die rolls do you let do you roll in front of the players or do you roll behind the screen the i roll behind the screen 99 percent of the time um okay. and the reason for that is and I, i'll be honest here i a, a lot of times my players think I, I i don't try to be harsh or anything i want my players to succeed i want them to finish out this campaign and story that i don't want to do a team party kill at all i mean i've right. come super close to killing them all and right. It's and there are times where it's like, okay, I'll admit I fudge some of the rules because I don't want to kill them all, right? Right. Um, the story. Yeah. But when and there are times I even fudge where I say I do hit them because maybe they're doing something dumb and I'm just like, no, you need to get punished for this. But right. Right. It's for the most part I roll behind the behind the screen because yeah. it's um, you know, I I don't want to do a team party wipe. It's 
because to right. me that's not fun. I mean, if I was going to if I was just out to kill my players, then why, you know, I'll just have them fight beholders all day. You right, know? right. No, it's a good, it's interesting because I I feel like I roll out in the open. However, I do think there's value to the story. Um, I don't want the dice to determine everything, and, and I feel like the players do get really cocky because I'm dr- rolling badly, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe you, you, that's a good strategy. Yeah, yeah, and and for the most part, it's it's not often that I fudge the rolls or anything. It's um right. <laughs> because my players know when I'm rolling good or bad. And all that because right. they can just see. I, I, I'd be the worst poker player ever. Because, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because exactly. they, they can just tell like when I'm rolling terrible on it. Um, and it, it's funny because it's every week there's a new player that feels like I'm picking on them because I hit only them, That's and so I can't funny. hit anybody else. Right. That's awesome. And and so. Remind me, are you playing? So you're playing Pathfinder now, or you're still playing Fifth no, Edition? No, no, just D and D Fifth Edition. I'm just casually reading Pathfinder. I mean, I've already read the book, and um, it's there's just certain things that I really like about the system that I've sort of implemented into my game a little bit. Gotcha. Um, okay. d- just some basic rule sets, like an example. Um, there's there's really no rules in D and D if. Let's take my paladin, for example, right? He wants to learn how to break into, you know, pick locks, right? Uh-huh, for, right. for whatever reason, you know, it, there's really no rules based on D&D on how to do that. Like, if right. you want to learn a skill that's outside of the skills you've already learned. Right. You know, and, I think that's great. And, and to me, that doesn't really make sense because, you know, just... You know, as you level up, as you advance, as you get older, you're going to have new skills as you progress. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what I like what Pathfinder does, I mean, the, the Pathfinder kind of does the same thing, but the way they do their skills is based on different proficiencies. So mm-hmm. they do it based on like you're trained, you're an expert, you're a master, you're legendary at this skill. So I've okay. sort of started to implement some of the same things. Like if they want to learn how to pick locks, maybe they read a book on how to pick locks or someone teaches them. And after so many times getting trained, all right, now you're trained on that skill and you have a plus one to picking locks, right? Right. Okay. But as you do it more and more and more, you're then going to gain a plus two up to a plus four okay. as your legendary. So at, that's one thing I kind of like with Pathfinder. The other thing that I really like that Pathfinder does that I feel is very lacking in D&D 5th edition is crafting. It's yeah. just sort of like if you want to so you want to spend some time crafting a sword or something, it's just sort of like okay, roll, okay, you do it. That's it. There's yeah. a lot more rules to it in Pathfinder and it also tells you what kind of materials you'll need for certain mm. crafted items. And to me that's yeah. that's that to me just adds another level of depth into the role playing because you're like, okay, now I need to go to the store and buy some iron. I need to buy, you know, some yeah. wood or leather, whatever, you know. And huh, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it definitely makes it more like a that feels more like a progression of talents and skills that they can. Yeah, and it's some place to spend their money too because I know yeah. sometimes people collect gems and gold and they don't know what to do with it so they go to the magic shop or i think spending it on resources to improve things that sounds really neat Um, yeah that there's there the other thing that i think you would probably appreciate as not only a dm but a player is 
just Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the weapons they have in Pathfinder, there's so many basic weapons they have compared to 5th Edition, and Mm. a lot of the weapons have a lot of different abilities. So when you look at 5th Edition, they have, um, you know, there's what, Versatile, Finesse, um, oh god, what is it? So basic though, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, yeah. I think it's just Versatile and Finesse, and then like how long you can throw it. Um, Right. In Pathfinder, they have a lot of different stuff like um a dagger has the ability to if you backstab someone as when you're sneak attack it does does a plus one to damage okay as well um there's tripping weapons that you can use so you can spend your action to try to trip the person to make them go prone with with that weapon um there's there's probably there's a bunch of other stuff too those are the two that pop up in my head and um yeah a just one other cool thing that I like with Pathfinder that I wish D and D had this and 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 I know and this is where the DM's discretion does come up with D and D is um if you want to customize your weapon in Pathfinder you can do it via a rune system sort of like blessing or making your weapon into a magic weapon so let's oh. say you want to make your sword do fire damage or ice damage okay you find the rune you find a place who selling the runes or who can do it for you boom you can get it done and and it, cool. and it's not just um weapons but you can do it for armor and shields i mean e- even the amount of shields they have in pathfinder are way better than dnd because in dnd you just have a shield that's it Right. There's their shields and Pathfinder do a lot more different stuff. Like some shields only give you plus one to AC. Some of them you can just do complete cover with your shields, but you okay. take an action for that. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Shield wall sort of techniques. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the the creative, the creativity in combat is definitely uh, with a more complex system. It, it encourages people to like because in. I used to love, you know, I still love, you know, medieval weaponry and, and yeah. combat techniques and knowing why a spear or a halberd or a, um, you know, a flail, you know, if a flail was designed to get over shields and a game mechanic should should imply that. Like, I'm using my flail, their shield is useless because that's the whole point. I'm swinging it and it's going over the top of their shield and smashing them. And uh, those things are, when they're used in, you know, medieval combat and there's bonuses or there's, you know, like trips, like you said, mm-hmm. that's great. I think that's really great. It makes the, uh, there's a certain responsibility for the players to immerse themselves in the, in the, um, the, you know, the, the armor and weapons and, and, and attack techniques. I think it's fun. I really, it really bores me when people like I swing my sword, like I want yeah. more from, from the player, you know, I want, I want more about the attack and I'll, I'll impact the actual combat like sure that's creative or that's a great uh, you know you know you're, you're definitely if someone is going to jump on the table and and tr- then leap on their opponent to get that high ground you know effect and then bring their double you know their two-handed battle axe down on them that might be a dex check and then a bonus to attack because you, you know you're they're doing something a little more creative and you're trying to take advantage of a situation so yep. I'll I'll try to reward my players for the creativity, and then that of course spirals into more you know people trying more wacky things, but it yeah. makes the games games fun. And I think if a rule set doesn't give you that, then you have to make it up. But if it does give you that, that's fantastic. So I I do agree with you. I like like in back to the champions or the hero system, they had different um, 
different base attacks. You could do a, a just a regular attack with regular damage and no pluses or minuses, or you could do what they call the haymaker, which means you're pulling back and really putting everything into that shot. So it took you longer to execute it. So it, it would it would land on the end of the turn, but and you would have minuses, I think, uh, or no, you would have minuses to your defense because you were basically standing in one place, reeling back mm-hmm. for a big, powerful strike, but you would do times one and a half damage. So that was their way of saying, okay, we're going to let, you know, melee characters, whatever, whatever weapon you're using, get a bigger bonus for planting your feet and really swinging hard. And there's nothing really in D&D that, you know, that does that. It's just you swing your sword. Same damage, you know, there's no no difference, even though we all know, or a charging attack in, in uh, the hero system, you could do move buys or move throughs. A move through, you ended your movement attacking the target. A move by was you, you were using your movement to quickly pass the target, strike on the way by. And again, it's all different variations of damage and your movement and how it impacts the the dice at the end of the com- at the end of the actual maneuver. But it felt to me like that made sense, right? Because if I had a sword, I could I could use my sword in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't always be the most powerful attack. Maybe I'm trying to just, you know, pierce or you know poke, or maybe I'm trying to slice. Yeah. You know, and and depending on your armor and your technique and how fast you are, I might try a different tactic, overhand or you know I don't know. It's just I I think that makes games so much more interesting when you can apply real life physics or you can you know grasp the you can feel and the action and it's yeah. based on what you're doing and i think game systems have to really it's pretty amazing how different game systems approach those things and different groups of players can can do it but um i'm, I'm really interested in this pathfinder thing now you've you've made me very curious yeah to go no, check it, out. It, it's definitely worth checking out um and, and you know you, you bring up a good point too what you said earlier a lot of it depends on your players and mm-hmm. it's it's something that I, as a DM, try to inspire. You, you know, I mean, there. I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it or anything. It's it's one of those where I try to get them excited about combat because we can all under we all know combat can sometimes be boring and monotonous, especially at higher levels because so, sometimes it's there's so so many dice rolls happening, um, so many attacks on one person, or you have that one person who has no idea what to do during their turn and all right. that, and it, it it can be a little bit tedious. So I always try to get them like, okay, you slash him. How did you slash at him? Or, or right. I, I take a little bit of a little bit from Matt Mercer from Critical Role. Like, all right, so how did you kill him? You know, right. try, try to make right. it exciting, interesting. You know, right. And, right. And, and not just okay, slash, I kill them type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that's the that's the main goal is to get your player interaction. And I've gone through a lot of different styles of of DMing and made a lot of mistakes you know with with regard to i can see the engagement just isn't there and um you know how to how to pull that out of them is sometimes the most important thing and it's something we all learn every time we do it um my my new game is is feels a little flat because i don't play it um consistently there's a lot of there's been a lot of breaks and time off so it's hard to hard to keep the momentum of the campaign or the little plot devices that I've thrown in from the conversation with the innkeeper. Well, now it's literally five weeks later. No one remembers that, you know, <laughs> they're like, yeah, you know, they don't, they don't know the name of the innkeeper. They don't know that he has a son that works, you know, for the guard and they don't know 
with the internet, you know, the, like those important storylines that I think are are developing my game world might not um, impact the players at all because. So I think running a campaign successfully and having a group of players is is not again. It's those things that are, they seem easy. When Matt Mercer does it, it seems like everybody can be the best DM ever. But it's a skill and the the ability to get the best out of the players is really, really fun and challenging, and and it's a lot of work. Well, well, let's be honest here. When it comes to critical role, the players are also doing a lot of work as well, too. It's right. It's. I right. mean, I, I know Matt Mercer's in charge of the world and making the story and all that stuff. But if he just had players like some of the ones that I've seen, it would not yep. nearly be as exciting as it is. And, True. And sure. I, I've actually just started watching Critical Role, only the second campaign. I tried getting into the first one, couldn't really yeah. do it. Um, okay. But I'm on like episode nine or ten of the second campaign, and I I, I enjoy it. it. It can be fun. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I I will say I do enjoy the non-combat a lot more than, you know, I enjoy the, the role-playing a lot more than the combat. Right. It feels like their their combat is just like what in the world is happening. They're very, but yeah, but their role playing is top notch. Their their character immersion, and their their storylines. You know, like like you said, they nail it because they're all professional actors. You know, the, yeah. Being a being a voice actor starts with your character development, and understanding. You know, even if it's the Arby's commercial that you happen to be lucky enough to be the voice of, there's a lot that goes into that voice and that character and you know it doesn't have to be a video game um you know all obviously the video games they give a lot more detail of the character you're yeah. you're playing but um but even the smallest role you know the 10 second spot of hey go to the you know go to this movie is you know the knowing your audience knowing who your voice is there's so much so much more that you don't think about on the surface that impacts your ability to get that role or get that job and people that embrace voice acting or, um, you know, all of these, uh, everybody on critical roles, a professional voice actor, they, they get that they've already been through all the classes. They've already, they're still developing their ability to get in the mind and the, the creative space of a character. And then it shows as they play D and D, you don't even think about the die roles. You know, it's so, it's so secondary. Everything is about yeah. the, the moments and the role playing. And then the die rolls are just there. And a lot of them, it, it blows my mind how long they've been playing D and D. They're still like, what do I do? You know, like what die am I looking for? What do I oh, roll? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, I, I, I'm still the same way. Like I've only been playing fifth edition since what? 2016, early 2017, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And, I mean, and I've been only DMing fifth edition for about a year and a half. I, no, I think over two years now. Um, and I mean, there's still so many times I forget rules. I mean, I don't, I don't remember right. all the what all every single magic spell does. I mean, I'm the same way with magic. I can't remember every single thing. Of course, with yeah. it, it, it's um. But, I have to read the spell for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, it, it's so I, I understand that. So, do you get to play D and D at all? No, I ha- I don't have a um, again. It comes down to the time and getting out to a shop, or getting out to someone who um, who is running a game that I want to be part of. I love playing. Um, I usually play like I usually find a very uh, how do I put it? Like I like to have my characters have a like a big personality um, impact, like something specific. Yeah. 
that I can kind of sink my teeth into. And as a character, like as I think when it comes down to this, it's like, it's like acting training. You have all these mundane things that we do every day, you know, and those aren't, aren't interesting at all. But when something that's really out of the, out of the ordinary is what makes a scene or, or a role playing situation interesting. So I like to go for those, out of the ordinary, wacky, wild thing. So the last character that I really had fun with was a, um, he was elf nobility, but his, um, because he was sheltered and, and lived in such a, you know, perfect world, one of the, you know, rights of, um, or the, the, you know, coming of age story was his, the father and his royal council saying, okay, you're, you're done here. You're going to go out in the world with no money, with nothing, and you're going to, we're going to throw you out and, you know, get, put you on a horse and put you, you know, in, across, halfway across the world and you're going to start your life with nothing. And, and then he was an adventurer, but his attitude was of nobility and he couldn't understand why people weren't serving him, you know, hand yeah. over foot. And, and so the, the idea there was he was this aloof, kind of a jerk to everybody. And everyone's like, you know, you, you know, you have no money and you know that you're a nobody here. <laughs> Why do you keep busting? But that was like a, a way of just kind of make, and he was doing it in, in a naive and innocent way. Um, but at the same time, he was still kind of expecting, you know, he was just entitled to everything around him. And I thought those kind of like those kind of character choices, bold and very, um, you know, he was impacting every conversation with, with his, you know, his attitude that was just, it was just fun. Those are the kind of characters I like to play. Something that's not just, you know, the, hey, I'm here to adventure and, you know, I'm, uh, you know what I mean? Just yeah, something yeah. something big, bigger about their personality. Um, no, I, I definitely try to get into my characters. Like my Wednesday night group, I play a, a ghost-wise halfling monk who's oh, a nice. drunken master. So we, we <laughs> sort of all cool. started off the campaign um it was only four of us and we were all playing short people, two dwarves, <laughs> actually five of us, two dwarves, two gnomes and me, the halfling. So no one was above, you know, four feet or whatever. That's great. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and that's how it was for a long time. And we, and we tried to get all new players to start like anybody who joined the campaign. Cause we played it at an LGS to also do short players. And then yeah. no one else wanted to do it. So, um, <laughs> that's fantastic. So, so, so it all kind of started off all of us being sort of like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia of the yeah. characters in there. <laughs> and so it slowly started to evolve into, uh, like, like all of us sort of had drinking problems and all that. Yeah. And then a very <laughs> traumatic event happened to all of us. And so since my character is a drunken master, he's now quit alcohol completely. <laughs> and um, <That's> great. <clears throat> me and the other character, uh, me and one of the gnomes, uh, and, and she's great. She's a great person. Uh, our characters got married. She actually kind of forced me to get married to her character. And so she, she wants to consummate the marriage, but my character is a virgin and has no idea what to do. Right. And so I, and, and, I, and I'm all just like, and, and I don't play like the, you know, studious monk and all this. I play like a goofball monk who's just, yeah. who's super into martial arts and all that yeah. as a kid and all that. And like awesome. l learned from a wandering monk that used to came to town or whatever. And right. so, it, I mean, it's, it's been adventures like that. And I can tell some of the other players get annoyed with us because the, the original players there were 
all super into role playing as well too and some of them just want to do combat all the time and so we're just sort of like so i can understand why they might get mad because the dm does maybe play more to our backstories and all that stuff and we've told the other players like when you guys don't come up with anything what's the dm supposed to do right right yeah that's that's a big that's a big factor in um in the experience and i try i try to when i when i sit down with them when they're building their character i one thing i try to do is get get a thread or something about their lives or their background that i can weave into the actual campaign so that way they have but you're right if they don't take those threads or if they don't you know they don't input anything then I end up just saying, okay, well, someone who is more enthusiastic or is trying really hard to get their backstory investigated or whatever, then I will, you know. It, but it is a interesting balance that you try to you yeah. try to provide the the good story. And sometimes stories develop for certain characters that just kind of feel good and they work, and that you're going with mm-hmm. it. And yeah, other players can feel like you're not focusing on on their their side of it as much. I think it's great though. I I really wish I had more. Time. I know that there's a lot of people that play online uh, with, you know, Skype it's, it's or what. It's not the same though. I, I've yeah. tried. It's I, I I've tried so many times trying to play over Roll Twenty, and and right. I've met some cool people doing it, but it's just really not the same. I I, I honestly get bored doing yeah. it doing it online. Yeah, yeah that's that's the access is is the problem. Um, yeah. I know I, I have a local game store that's not too far, but. It, I'd have to meet all new friends and that seems yeah, so tedious. It, it, it can. And, and <laughs> it's, um, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a really healthy D and D scene here. It's like, I've tried hard building it up. Nice. Um, and it's, we've got D and D games going on every single night at my LGS. And sometimes there's two or three DMS a night doing separate wow, that's games. So, cool. so yeah, it, it's crazy. Like how much it's blown up and it's thanks to critical role and all that. Yeah. And, um, just Absolutely. how popular D&D is. And that's another thing that just amazes me that how popular D&D has become and how accepted it's become. I mean, same with magic as well, too. It's I've said this so many times on the podcast, you know, when I was growing up, you know, <laughs> it was all that satanic yeah. panic of magic and right. D&D. And, you know, you couldn't even couldn't even play any of that without looking like a total cultist or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was I was back in those days where was, you couldn't talk about it in in school or anything. Yep. Or you'd you'd be shunned away, and now it's embraced. Yeah, the um, the, the way I explain it to my kids because they don't understand is I tell them, back when I was going to school, you were considered a loser if you played video games. Like, right? No yep. one ever played video games, and if you did, you were a loser. But your friends who played video games, if they found out you played Magic or D anD D you were considered a loser in their eyes. So it's, right. it was sort of like this hierarchy of, Oh, you, okay. You know, the, the cool popular kids, the kids who played video games were losers. And then, Oh, if they found out you played pen and paper games or tabletop games, yep. Oh my gosh, yep. you were even yep. more of a loser than they were. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they don't, they don't so get true. it. They don't understand. <laughs> no, no, it's very different now. It's pretty interesting. And, and it's great because, you know, my, my oldest daughter had, she was a part of a D and D club at school last year. And, played some D and D there and we'll, we'll try and play them um, at home here. Um, that's awesome. And you know, it's just me and the two girls and you know, my, my wife was a LARPer for a long oh, time. Awesome. She, oh, wow. she used to LARP vampire, the masquerade. I, yeah. I, I, that was, that was my jam. <laughs> I love that game. I haven't, so I haven't played it in years and years. I think the last edition I played was second edition. 
I think so it was fun. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to play it again. I, I need to get the new rule books for it. Um, yeah, my, my shop just started carrying um, Call of Cthulhu and I've always wanted to yep. play that. I, I've heard nothing but great things about it. And so yeah. I'm going to be picking up a player's handbook of that just to start diving into the rules for it. That's so awesome. It's amazing. Hey, can I can I take a quick break? I need to go check out my dog. Well, well actually, you know, let's just end it here. It is getting a little bit late for me here. Okay. Yeah. Um, no problem. And, you, you know, I, I, well, first, I just want to thank you for coming on. It's been a blast talking with you about streaming magic and D&D. Um, and, you know, th- thanks again for taking time out of your day for this. And um, where can people find you if they want to find your content? Uh, Adamant MTG at twitchtv.com. Um, I don't really know exactly. I mean, th- I found some really strange. Um, it's really hard to find me on YouTube. So if you go to my Twitch page, you can actually uh, find me in the panels below. Okay. And I have a link to my YouTube and Twitter account. But the the Twitch page is probably the best place to go. So okay. Adamant MTG ADA. There's not case sensitive, so should be easy to find and yeah i've had a, a amazing time thank you so much i lo- really love the D pathfinder role-playing conversation that was really a great turn because obviously i'm mtga um content creator but <laughs> it started it started with my love of role-playing it really did oh, the yeah. reason i got got into magic was because of you know it had those fantasy elements and it was quicker and you know easy to play but all those fantasy um know playing elves and elvish archers and yep. my first decks were based off of and actually it's, it's an old school thing but my very first magic deck was based on my cleric in second edition D. so oh, i had wow. like flame strike and it was my fireball spell and i used the um dancing scimitar in from arabian <laughs> nights and that was That's my awesome. blade barrier i would that was my blade barrier so i'd say i cast blade barrier and i dropped my dancing scimitar so, and of course I had healing salves in my deck. It was red, white. So Boros colors. And I had every, every spell that I cast was, or in magic was based on a spell in D and D. So that's it was really, awesome. really fun. Um, kind of, and it's so funny that now wizards of the coast and dungeons and dragons, you know, they, they've, they've melded together. Yeah, but back in the, those with days, the Ravnica book and now with the Theros book coming right. out, I'm so excited so, about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's super exciting, and it's and it's funny because that was where I started. Yeah. So the fact that it's coming to fruition now in the official capacity is blowing my mind because that's exactly what I would I would build decks based on D and D characters, and that's so anyways, hilarious. that's is really cool how it all kind of comes full circle. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the great conversation, and um, I look forward to. I can I have to go back to your library of um, content creators. You had mentioned Sky Bills because I met her yes. at my very first, um, she, my very first. I love her. She's great. Yeah. She's such a, such a great person. I met her when I was like, I think streaming for like five months. So I was, you know, barely affiliate. I went to my first TwitchCon. I ran into her. Didn't, didn't know who any of the streamers were. I was just trying to, you know, make friends and meet people. And I got yeah. her a card and then, uh, and she was like, that's the other part. They're so welcoming and so kind um, giving me tips and you know, I mean, yeah. I was sitting there with 20 people on my channel and she's helping me, giving me tips, talking to me about yeah. streaming. Yeah. She Just helped fantastic. me out. Um, she, she convinced me to do a speed running stream and, um, I, I did a little speed run of super Mario world, uh, that's so a couple cool. weeks ago and I'm probably going to do it again. Um, I don't, I don't know when I, I need to, that's my one thing with streaming is I don't have a set schedule and 
it's I and if I feel like if I set a schedule, then I'll feel obligated to do it and then start right. reading it. Yeah, yep, yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> but I think you're you just you're right though. Just the people that are encouraging and give you the support and the and the you know confidence to to get in there. Um, I've been so happy with the the community. And um, it's always nice to meet new people and you know realize that there's people starting and people that have been doing it for a while and yeah. being you know just reaching out and meeting new people all the time. So you giving me this opportunity to you know meet your audience and and people that don't know what I do. Um, you know we didn't really talk too much about the 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 real underlying theme or brand that I have that that I feel is my as a matter of fact I was about to end my stream yesterday. And then I got super motivated because all it takes is someone to come into my stream and say, hey, I'm new and I'm all over it. I love the new player experience. The, well, I, th the, I think you, you sort know. of showcased that because, I mean, you talked a lot about new players and magic, but you also sort of mentioned a lot in D&D &D as well, too. And it, it yeah. seems like teaching is, a, is your big thing. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's and I find myself not even like. I think it's kind of a daunting task, you know, to, to get into a conversation of how do you teach someone magic? You know, mm -hmm. there's not, there's not one place to start. There's so many places to start. So I try to be conversational with it where I, I find out what the player needs or desires in a game. And I really feel that no matter what, um, your background is, if you come into magic, there's a, there's so many different ways to enjoy the game. And uh, I love connecting that to the the player. So yeah, that's that's usually I guess that's my biggest my biggest uh, piece of excitement is that's personally what I find rewarding is getting um, someone to feel the same fascination. And uh, you know, it's some people are say it's a dangerous obsession because magic will consume you, right? It'll consume yeah. your your life and your energy. <laughs> but uh, but if you have it, it just to me, it's just offers so much. And so does role playing. You know, we, we, we talked about that, the, the amount of the storytelling and the, the value people can get from just coming together. I think you nailed it when you said it's, it's, uh, all about that personal experience. And even though streaming is, you know, across the internet, it's not as personal as going to your local game store and, and engaging people, you can impact a lot more people. So yeah. I think the, the reach that, that streaming has um, in that interaction is is pretty good, but there are times where there's no new players out there, and I'm just talking to you know people that have played the game for a long time, and you have to change change your um you know your 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 tempo or your your pace of streaming. You got to change your conversations, you know, because you have to interact with who's in the chat at the time. But I do love new players. I I I think that that's if I could find a way to market or to get more new eyes on me. I think that's what be, would be my favorite thing. But right now all we have is, you know, word of mouth and yeah. well, things like this, like the podcast, I can get, yeah. you know, hopefully people interested in stopping by and just saying hi and, and walking through that process. So if anyone out there, I guess in, in closing for, for people that are listening, if there's a, a player that maybe a friend or a family member isn't into magic because maybe you're so immersed in it and they'd think, that it's too complicated because I've been there a lot of times with different mm -hmm. games. Um, if you send them my way, I'll try to, I do, I, I try to do my best with the, you know, answering the really, um, you know, the initial questions and, and kind of taking that time 
the time and patience to get a new player comfortable with with what magic is all about and i would love to um love to do that for anybody you want to send my way just have, have them tell them to say hi and i will take them on the journey sure yeah no for sure and i hope anybody listening does take uh adam on that up on that because j- just talking with you for these past two hours i i get the feeling that you you know you do care you genuinely care about yeah. you know helping people out and and that and that's a good thing it, it, it yeah. feels like it's rare to find like that nowadays yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think, and I, on the flip side, I think you know, there's there's always something that someone offers, even if it's not you know expressed. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to be a better uh, streamer, how to how to get more engagement and all those things. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to to spend some time analyzing what you do well and what you might not do so well. And there there have been times on my stream that maybe I'm f- too focused on you know, laddering or doing something competitive. And, and that takes time away from my ability to teach people because I'm trying to play my best game. Um, and it's really hard to, you know, obviously to focus on your best competitive plays when you're also answering questions, you know, so there's a balance in everything, but, um, but hopefully my, my, my true joy is what I want to be there and streaming for, which is, which is definitely helping. I think it's, it's really rewarding to have someone come back in the chat and say, "Hey, I succeeded. I, I made it to through oh, that's awesome. to you know to to yeah. gold this this season, or I, my deck is working now that you gave me some tips on, you know, it's like, it's there's nothing better than that that feeling of getting that that um, confirmation or whatever affirmation that you're impacting people's lives. So it's it's wonderful. No, oh, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. Um, it, it was a pleasure again and maybe i'll have you come on again maybe just talk D strictly um yeah i feel like cool. i feel like we could have another whole conversation just based on that and um no but like i said thank you again for coming on and hope you have a great night okay absolutely you too and thanks um for everything we'll uh we'll definitely do this again I, i'm uh had a great time so just reach out anytime all right well great thank you have a good night all right take care you too Hey everybody, thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed the conversation with Adam uh, there. It was uh, really well done and it seems like a very genuine, helpful uh, guy out there. And hopefully you do end up checking out his stream. Uh, Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Adam underscore MTG. And make sure you check out his Twitch channel as well too at Adam and MTG. And thank you all for listening again and have a great night.